everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and the audio you're about to hear first aired inside of our Discipleship.org collective, and it features Paul Hugobart and Shadonke Johnson. I kid you not, I believe this might be one of the most important podcast episodes a North American disciple of Jesus can listen to. I encourage you to listen to the whole thing and let it wake you up, shake you up, and encourage you to be an informed person who is also filled with hope in what God, the impossibility specialist, can do. And as a gift from me to you, there is a special thing at the very, very end. Shidanke, when asked to pray, actually broke out into song. And being a songwriter producer myself, I was moved to sing along and create some music behind it. And I hope that it moves you the way that it did me. And I hope this entire episode pushes you forward in your faith and encourages you to continue to be filled with hope in what God can do. All right, let's jump into this episode, everybody. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I have the privilege of leading discipleship.org with a, with a, a group of wonderful people. And uh, we are bringing this recording to you as a partnership with discipleship.org and Exponential. And I am so grateful to have two men that I'd like to introduce to you who are joining me. Uh, first, let me introduce my co-host, Paul Hugobart from Grace Chapel Church in the Atlanta area. Paul, do you uh, mind just giving a brief introduction of yourself to us? And then I'll introduce Shidonke and then the topic. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, thankful to be here. Thankful for the topic we'll be talking about today. Thankful for the connection, Bobby, that uh, you and I have had for some time now, uh, based upon our, our our passion for seeing disciple making be, become something deeply rooted in the American church. Uh, and then beyond that, thankful for the connection with Shadanke to be able to see that in action somewhere else. So I'm, I'm very grateful for what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, I feel grateful as well. Shadonke, I've known you for several years, and I'm so grateful for our friendship. I'm grateful for the way that you have uh, spoken into the disciple-making movement in North America out of your experiences in the country of Sierra Leone, Africa. Sierra Leone is on the west coast of Africa, if you're joining us and you're trying to picture where it is in your mind. And uh, I'd like to introduce Shadonke by telling a brief story, and that is uh, a little bit over 15 years ago, Shadonke was presented with an opportunity. They'd planted, uh, I think if I remember right, three or four churches in Sierra Leone, and they were given the opportunity to consider disciple-making movements. So Shadonke spent 30 days of fasting and prayer about it, and then he made a decision and led those on his team to join him in uh, embarking on using disciple-making movement principles. Well, we look back now over the last 15 or so years, and it's absolutely amazing at the hundreds of thousands of people that God has used Shadonke and his movement to reach. He is one of the foremost teachers on disciple-making and on especially the power of the Holy Spirit in disciple-making. He is joining us from his home in Sierra Leone, West Africa, but he will soon be here in the United States at the Exponential Conference. He'll be a 
main stage speaker at the Exponential Conference on this topic, but he is also joining myself, Paul Hugabart, and people like Jim Putman at a pre-conference where we'll be talking about disciple-making movement principles and legacy or established churches. And let me just say, as we begin, and Shadonke, I'm going to let you uh, add anything else by way of introduction uh, that you'd like to share with us. I know that we all share uh, gratefulness to God, and we believe that all the glory belongs to uh, God as he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus, and he's empowered us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, What I want to say, though, to everybody as we begin is that I think this is probably the most important message that the North American church could hear, and that's on the power of the Holy Spirit in disciple-making. In fact, Shinanki, before you jump in, Paul, will you share the uh, metaphor on the form and the fire with us, and then Shidanki, go ahead and jump in. Yeah. So as we were just kind of uh, talking before, uh, before kind of beginning this this webinar, um, you know, I'd shared real quickly that I that I had uh, been listening to Mark Sayers, and, and some of you probably know who Mark Sayers is. He's a he's a, he's a guy who's really gifted in in analyzing Western culture, but also then how Western culture engages with the church, and so. Uh, so he made this statement that really just kind of uh, struck me, I think, very powerful statement said that, that we're at this place in Western culture where if we're going to see revival, awakening, renewal within the church, we can't just have the form of the church, which, you know, we might say are Jesus uh, disciple making methods. So we're doing things right. We also need the fire that comes with that as well. So we need the Holy Spirit to come and empower the work that we're doing, as opposed to just saying, well, we only need one or the other. We actually have got to have both form and fire. So I thought that was a really uh, powerful way of expressing that and something I know Shadanke will be able to speak into quite a bit. Well, Shadanke, bring greetings. I want to say say, um, hello to all of um, my friends and listeners out there and we, I want to say Happy New Year, because we are still in the, just, you know, the beginning of the new year. Um, just on what my brother was saying, it's, um, it's really true that the church was really, the church needs both the form and the power. And we need both together in the church. And if we really want to see movement, which will be very serious, especially in the Western world, we have to be serious about the power which is the fire. We have to be serious about it. It is not just an emotionalism. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in any church, in any movement. If we want to see it become really a movement that moves by the leading of God, the Holy Spirit is very important, which is the fire really that um, my brother is talking about. Because the issue here is that we have we have really derailed, maybe unconsciously for many cases, some consciously, but for many unconsciously, we have fallen into this illusion thinking that, you know, if I have all the knowledge, just I know what to do, just having the knowledge is going to be enough to, to really see movement or see disciple making movement happen or even see run churches. Well, it, it will help you. But one of the things you will realize 
quickly is that you realize that yes, you have the numbers, yes, you have the foam, but you don't have the power. The fire is not there, you know, and, and it is a fire. What made the church different in Acts was the fire. You know, the foam was already there, but that's why Jesus said to them, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from above. Or some version says, you will receive power from above and then you shall be my witnesses. In other yeah. words, it was that fire that qualifies you because mm -hmm. he knew, Jesus knew that these were ordinary people, these were men, they were in the flesh and they needed the Holy Spirit to help them navigate through the paths that was ahead of them. They, they needed the Holy Spirit to make the, to convict the people to believe in the things they were saying. And that's why we see the same Peter, but Peter on the day of Pentecost and the Peter before Pentecost, these are two different Peters. What made the difference? What made the difference? Not that he went back to heaven and he was given a new face, a new shape, or spiritual cosmetology happened. No. The issue here is that he received that fire, and that fire made this Peter that was so terrified to say that he knows Jesus, stood out there, now before so many people, and he spoke with such a boldness and power. And I like the way the translation, the KGV says, and the heart of men were caught into two. And yeah. they asked, what can we do? What can we do? And it, it was that power. And after he has told them what to do, that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. 3,000 souls were added to the church. Yeah, so it, it's, it's such a great it's such a great picture to tell us. And it happened in the life of all of the disciples. Their life changed drastically because the fire was there. And that fire took them from place to place. When you read Acts chapter 4, even when they were asked not to preach in that name again, they said, no, I mean, we, we are going to rather obey Jesus rather than obey you. But what is interesting is that when they stood before the Sahendri, and they looked at these people, the way they defended themselves, the way they explained scripture. And then they realized that these people did not go to the, to the intellectual schools, the, the, the rabbinic schools that they had. But then they realized they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. They had a fire from Jesus. Mm -hmm. I believe that this can be said about movement, disciple-making movement. If we spend our time, I call it, we have to be soaked in the presence of the Lord. You know, mm -hmm. in West Africa here, actually, it rains. You have this hamatan, I mean, uh, mushroom rains. When it's raining here, it rains and it can pour down like, I mean, it's, it's just pouring down. We need to be soaked. So if you, if you go under the rain, you will definitely be soaked at that time, completely soaked. In 10 minutes, you'll be soaked. We need to be soaked with the power of the Holy Spirit, with that fire mm -hmm. inside of us. When we are soaked with that fire, inside of us. I want us to know that wherever we go, people will see it. They will see it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the, the form cannot convict the heart of men, but the fire can convict oh, the heart of men. Boy, that's it is good. Very that's really good. Now, Shononke, uh, just as we go through this, I want to uh, set the stage uh, a little bit further in terms of what you're saying. A lot of people in North America don't realize what disciple-making movements are. Uh, there's approximately 80 million people around the world involved in disciple-making movements. There's 1,400 plus of them. 
you, most people don't know this, but 1% of the world's population currently is in a disciple-making movement, which I'm so grateful to be able to share that. And a lot of times, uh, like what we're talking about, people will study the forums. They'll talk about Discovery Bible Study. They'll talk about Persons of Peace. They'll talk about access ministries where we meet the needs of a community. But I have personally concluded, and I think you agree with this, that all those things are secondary to the foundation which is built on fasting and prayer for Jesus Christ to release the power through the Holy Spirit. One of the ways I describe it to North Americans is it's almost like the revival movements that are expressed in disciple-making principles. So if you would comment on that, and uh, then Paul and I will go back and forth. We're going to tag team you because we don't have a lot of time and there's so much good that we want you to share with us. Yeah, I think um, the, the the church really needs to go back. We need to retract our steps. Where did we go wrong? We have to ask ourselves, honestly, brutally ask ourselves, where did we go wrong? And how can we fix this? I believe very strongly, if we can just be honest with ourselves and accept that yes, something has gone wrong and accept what has gone wrong, and be willing to bring it to God and say, God, look, you know, this belongs to you. This is all. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell mm-hmm. shall not prevail against it. The church belongs to Jesus. He will build this church. He will defend this church. It is not our business to defend it. He will do all of that. Our own job is to believe in him and flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our job. And so the 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 thing here that is really needed is that we need to, as leaders, you know, in the West and other parts of the world, where we have denied the Holy Spirit, we have kicked the Holy Spirit out of our churches. We have literally closed the door on the Holy Spirit in our seminaries, in our theological schools, our theological teachings. Yes, we know that there are some weary stuff, you know, that people, you know, ascribe to the Holy Spirit. But let's look at the biblical work of the Holy Spirit. How do we pattern biblically that's aligned? I'm a I, I love the Bible. I'm a student of the Bible. I want to do it the way it's aligned to Scripture. I think whatever other people are doing, it for me, it's it's what they are doing. But I align things to Scripture. What does Scripture say? How did He walk in Scripture? That's how. How did Jesus align Himself to it? And that's how I think we need to do. That's what we need to do. What we really need now is a radical move of the Holy Spirit. We need a radical move of the Holy Spirit in such a way. That honestly, whether it's going to be where two or three people are gathered, that he promised would be there, or where thousands are gathered, that the foundation will be rocked. The foundation will be shaken. Because when men that are men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit, when they stand up, when they begin to worship, somebody walk into that place and all of a sudden there's healing happening, there's great things happening. Why? Because there are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that is the exciting thing about the church. And that's what we need to get back to so that we experience those excitement that they experience in the early days church. You know, we, we, we are fortunate. I call ourselves, we are the most blessed generation because we are in this threshold where we can see the past very clearly and we can see the future ahead of us. And I have chosen, you know, people in disciple making movement have chosen. We want to move towards the future. You know, we want to learn from the past, but move towards the future. 
Because how we guarantee anyone when you so when you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to really indwell your life and lead you and guide you, that is the greatest experience you ever have. Mm. It's the greatest experience that you ever have in working with the Lord. I, I try to imagine the experience in the upper room. How those guys in the upper room, you know, how they felt. These timid guys, these guys that could run away and hide. And then in the upper room, all of a sudden, they receive the presence. And what is interesting, they said, they were all in one accord, which is something you can expand on. They were, they were waiting. They were praying. They were ready for it. They were determined. They were open up for it. They realized that we need this badly. And so they were worshiping and praying and waiting for it. And because their hearts were in the same place, everybody's heart was, this is what we want. We need this thing. And they were, they were hungry for it. It came. And great things happened. Yeah, I wonder. Um... You know, Shadanke, if you could speak a little bit, you talked about the Western world some, and and the reality is, uh, you know, as I look around, especially at at our culture here in North America, uh, we seem to at times have this real obsession with uh, making sure that our preachers are as eloquent as they can be, they're as well trained as they can be, and I'm not, I'm not against elegance, eloquence, and I'm not against training, but I, I do realize that you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul himself said, you know, in First Corinthians two, talking about his preaching. He said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, which, man, do we have an addiction in the Western world to making sure that our words are wise and persuasive and that we're seen as wise and persuasive. In other words, we're putting all the the responsibility for getting it right and and maybe, um, maybe seeing an awakening happen. We're putting it on our shoulders when it really ought to be on God's shoulders. As Paul said, he said, Again, my, my message was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So I wonder if you could speak to us again. I, I know when we've talked about this before, you've talked about the fact that, you know, these guys that, that changed the world were ordinary men. When often what we're looking for in the Western world and our church leaders are not ordinary men. We're looking for extraordinary men. But what we really need is a, an extraordinary movement of the, the Holy Spirit. So maybe do you have a word for us, maybe some guidance for us, especially in North America? as it pertains to that. I, I'm very sure that the, one of the issues here is that we have we have put on our shoulder, we have we are a, a church and a generation that is full of doing, doing, doing. And we have taken ownership of things that we are not supposed to take ownership of. Hmm. We have taken ownership of the church that we are not supposed to take ownership of. We don't own the church. He owns the church. Hmm, we, it is hard time we turn everything over back to him. He owns it. And if he owns it, he has to, we have to allow him to run it the way he wants to run it. And so mm. our intellectual, our knowledge, and all the things we have is great. It's wonderful. It's a tool that can help us. But those things can really help us very well when those things are submitted to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we submit our eloquence, the gift that God has given us, when we submit it in the Holy Spirit, it becomes extraordinary. Now, when I do trainings, I normally say, when that which is ordinary is touched by God, it becomes extraordinary. That's mm. the difference between extra and ordinary. It's just the word extra that is the difference. When, when that which is ordinary is touched by God, it becomes extraordinary. And I believe what we need is that we have major on the minor and minor on the major. What we have done is that we try to use the minor, the eloquence of people, the knowledge of people, and thinking that, oh, this can pull the crowd. This can get the church going. 
And that's why a lot of people are burning out and people are crashing. That's why we're having failures in ministry because people have taken something that is not supposed to be on their shoulders and they have placed upon the shoulders and they go out there Sunday after Sunday wanting to perform so that people will see that they are great. When inside, they are breaking. Inside, mm -hmm. they are... So it's time for us to say, hey, guys, yes, eloquence is good. Knowledge is good. But let us have these things wrapped in the power of the Holy Spirit, wrapped in the fire. When it's wrapped in the fire, I'm telling you, you can stand up there and God can give you words to say that can touch heart, that can convict heart right there. You know, you can, you can prepare all the preparation, but when the Holy Spirit shows up, you can throw all those things out of the window and allow the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter on the day of Pentecost did not go to have a special three-point summer preparation. I mean, he just poured the thing out as being led by the Holy Spirit. He just poured it out. What he has heard from his master, what he read, you know, he was taught him as he was a young guy coming up. It, I mean, the thing just came out like that. But the so, issue here is that this was ordinary word. He was talking ordinary words, but what was the difference? Those ordinary words were spiritually magnetic. They were spiritually mm. powerful. They were coming out like a, a mighty spiritual tsunami. And it hit the people very hard. You know, the words were just the normal theological words, ordinary words that a rabbi could speak. But the difference here was that it was wrapped in the fire. And so the people could not stand it. They could not, they were convicted. And that's why we had 3,000 souls. If Peter was just talking ordinary words, people would clap for him. They would appreciate him. They would shake his hand and say, that was a good word. That was a good thing. I will see you next week. And then nothing happens. But here, because it was wrapped in the power of the fire, Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Shudanke, let me ask you a question. Um, we know that, that uh, to get the power uh, in, in his ministry, and you know, we might even say, is that the right way to say it? But Jesus began his public ministry with 40 days of fasting and prayer. And then when Correct. his disciples came to him, in Luke chapter 11, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them the Lord's prayer. But in Luke 11, it goes on and it says, knock and it will be given, seek and you will find, ask and it will be mm -hmm. given to you. And then Jesus says, uh, he compares uh, 
our human fathers with the heavenly fathers. And he says, you know, our human fathers want to give us good things. How much more will our father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's my question for you, uh, for people who are watching this, they're, they're going to agree. Uh, we're all encouraged by what you're saying and pointing to the power of the spirit. Where do we begin in seeking and asking God for the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think we begin from the point of first accepting that something is wrong. Hmm. You know, I think we have, that's where we begin. We accept that something hmm. is wrong, that we have really moved away from what we call the spiritual baseline or the cultural baseline spiritually. And we have to accept that. And secondly, we have to sincerely come to God in repentance and say, Lord, we are really sorry about this. You know, we, we, we just like anybody could repent and we just repent from it. And if we do those two things, I think the next thing here is that we have to spend some time in his presence, in the word and in his presence. We have to soak ourselves. We are too, we come into the presence of God too hurriedly and we live hurriedly. We are always in, in, in an emergency, what I call a spiritual emergency world. We come in hurriedly, it's an emergency always, and we spend 10, 15 minutes with God. We are, we are running out and spending all the other time. No, if we want to experience this power, we need to spend quality time. You see, the good thing is that Jesus modeled it for us. He, before he started his ministry, he did not start his ministry until he has gone out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, why did Jesus need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? When John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was there in the beginning, and there was nothing that was made that was all made through him. But the difference is that when you go down that chapter, it's about the word became flesh and dwelt among men. The word was not flesh. It was divine. He was also human, dwelling among men. So he went into the wilderness. He spent some time in the presence of his father, you know, just in, in, in just meditating on the things that his father would want him to do. And then he came out ready for the assignment that was given to him. And also, the, the, it's over when we read the Bible. They say, and he went out to pray. He went out to pray. He went out to pray. Daily he went out. So he left his disciples who were even sleeping. He would go out to spend quality time with God. Spend quality time with his father. No wonder the father said, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He spent those quality time. I remember he's the word, but he spent so much quality time with God so that he will be soaked in the power of the Holy Spirit. When his disciples could not cast the demons out of the, the young man that was brought, and they asked him why. He said, such a thing only come out with prayer and fasting. It takes a spiritual might to hit things like this. So the thing here is that we start from that point, we accept, we repent, and then we spend quality time before God in his presence, in his word. And then we begin to pray and fast as Jesus did. We need to pray and fast. For some of us that have never done it before, we can start with what I call the baby steps. You can start with baby steps, maybe three hours of fasting and do it in three days in a row, three hours of fasting. Then you push it to four hours to five hours. As you continue to do it, become part and parcel. At least once a week, you decide that, okay, I'm going to take three hours of fasting or a day. I did not start fasting just starting the day. I started by hours. It became a day. And from day, it became days. From days, it became weeks. And then it became time that I would spend three days without food and water, or maybe even four days without food and water. 
literally without food and water. I we just finished it at the end of the year, three days, no food, no water. Not only a group of people praying, and we are praying and fasting every three hours, praying and fasting every three hours, no food, no water. But God energized us until we got we finished. So people have to really come to that place, starting small to end big, starting slow at the beginning so they can go fast at the end. So baby steps, pray, seeking the face of God and praying. But also what is important, we have to open up. We have to open up for the Holy Spirit. Those guys in the upper room, they were ready. They were ready for it. And so no wonder when it came, I mean, they, they caught it. They were ready for it. Cornelius' house was ready for it. They are ready for it. We have to be ready so that we can be filled. You see, the, the problem is that we come to God a lot of times, we come filled, filled with our knowledge, filled with ourselves, filled with our intellectualism. We, anytime you come before God, you have to be empty so that he can fill you. You need that feeling of the Holy Spirit. Forget about everything you know. Forget about everything you own. Forget about all the success you've ever, whatever you're successful with. Just come empty because you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So people have to be really open so they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think when we do this and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the next step is that we obey those steps, those things that the Holy Spirit is telling us to obey. We have to obey those steps and they will teach others to obey. I think for me, those are, those are steps. Yeah, Shabaka, I'll just say, um, you know, it was several years ago when I first heard you talk about uh, praying and fasting and and opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that was most encouraging to me, because we can talk about Jesus fasting and praying for 40 days. Uh, we can think about, you know, the way that some in your movement are fasting and praying. And that can be very intimidating, I think, at the onset. If if we don't start small, but I love the way you phrase it at that point in time, we can start small to end big. And so we're actually, we're in a period of prayer and fasting with uh, with our entire church, where we've given our church a number of different ways to fast a number of different on-ramps into prayer and fasting. And it's amazing some of the things that we're already seeing, uh, starting to see come out of that. We did that last year as well. And some of the testimonies out of that were fantastic. So I, I'd actually like to ask you uh, if you could tell us some of the things that you have seen come about that you know without a doubt would not have come about if it were not for the working and intervention of the Holy Spirit who you invited in through times of prayer and fasting. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, that has come about through our prayer fasting is God using the ordinary people in the most extraordinary way. That's one thing, just ordinary people. The way God has used them in an extraordinary way is one thing that has, I mean, blown my mind over and again. Even today, hearing the testimony, just this evening, a guy came to me. He's a plumber. You know, his father, he and his father has a company where they do plumbing on houses. And that's how I met him. And he fell in love with Jesus, was discipled, and he planted the church. You know, his church is growing right now. He's just telling me the church is about 40 or 50 people, a church that's about six months. He's growing, and he's just sharing with me how he's enjoying everything, how he's feel the presence of God. I mean, he's just talking, talking. I'm looking, sitting there looking at the guy. This is an ordinary man who has not gone to a seminary, who has not gone to a theological school. But look at what God is doing in that community among that tribe. And he's so excited about it. So that's one thing I've seen God do. I mean, I will tell you stories of stories of what God has done as we pray and fast. But secondly, also, God draws the most unlikely people to him. The most unlikely people in communities and nations. People that people never expected will ever come to God, ever be saved. I mean, people who have persecuted the church. 
people who said all type of things against the church, people who fought the church, and people who teared Bibles, bond and Bibles. I have seen this unlikely people get saved as we pray and fast because intentionally we zero in on them. We zero on their names. We zero on their families. We zero on their tribes. And God steps in in an extra miraculous way. So we have seen that also. But we have also seen how the work has accelerated in a way that is out of control, literally. That we have seen, I will tell you, I am still, I am still amazed for over all these years. I mean, I hear testimonies every day, several testimonies, but I'm still amazed at what God is doing through people, through the movement. I'm still amazed. I'm telling you, I'm still amazed at what God is doing. Why? Because as I'm telling you, we just, at the end of the year, we've ended up with three days of fasting in prayer without food and water. We ended that on the last day of December. And then we started on the, I think it was on the 11th, we started our 21 days of fasting and prayer. We'll end that towards the end of the month. Everybody's doing that. Now, I I am just amazed that as even as we do this, the testimonies that people call and people share what God is doing. So, this is some of the things, then the power, the power, the power you see in the worship, the power you see when you ask a, a, a child 12 years, 13 years old to pray, the power that the prayer comes with is extraordinary. The power you see where people are praying for sick people and it's happening, healing is happening. I mean, it's people that doctors have given up are brought to areas where they are doing prayer and people, ordinary people are just laying hands and healing is happening. So that power cannot be denied. So these are the things, and also you see that leaders have been developed in such a way. Disciples are raised and leaders are developed in, in, in such a, an amazing way. So I think for me, I have seen all of this. And one more thing I want to measure is just how the work as how the work goes. I mean, it's, it's just move, it's like a movement. It's definitely just move from this family to another family. It's like a fire and then into another village, into another tribe, which is God makes it very clear so that you know that this does not depend on you. It really depends on him and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Shidanke, what are you able to share with us in terms of uh, the fruits or the, um, uh, like how you can look at what God has done over the years? Now, I know you need to be somewhat careful um, because of the country where you are, in terms of some of the the uh, clashes, uh, sometimes you refer to to the others as your cousins, uh, and so you have to be careful. But can you give us some descriptions of how God has used your movement to transform the whole country of Sierra Leone? Yeah, I, I think um, here is that one way we've seen transformation is that again, as I was saying, we we have seen people who have. God has used into positions of responsibility nationally. Uh, <laughs> these are people that you never thought would even get to that point. They themselves did not believe in it. They themselves did not believe in it. And so all they will tell you is that God has, has brought me here. I don't know how. I don't know, but I know it's God. But we have seen trans- We have seen how through this process of the movement, has God has touched the police. We have partnership with the police. And how we see today, the police are planting churches. The police are out there doing evangelism. We have trained all the chaplains in the police. And uh, it's extraordinary. In fact, the IG, the current IG just said all the police in the country should have Thanksgiving. 
And so they are planning to have this massive Thanksgiving in different, they are going to have it in one of the centers that we have, just during Thanksgiving. You know, you see the police going out to, 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 to reach out to people, to win souls. I mean, that's one amazing. In the army is the same. We've trained uh, the chaplains in the army and we've seen the army is also involved in planting churches, you know, which is, which is un, unheard of in other areas, but it's happening. We have also seen on campuses, university campuses, how God has used this process of, of touching students from campuses. Some of them who have been the occultic or some of them who are cousins have been touched on those campuses. And we have seen how God has transformed their lives today. I have seen, we have a lot of students who graduated some with engineering degrees, some as, uh, as uh, linguists, you know, and study linguistics history and uh, all these different areas of courses. You're expecting them to go out, but they said we want to be church planters and they're going to plant churches. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing what God can do. We have seen that. You, you are not telling them. They just say, you know, we, this is what we want to go and do. So they leave all what they've studied and they're just going in this direction. So we have seen that. We, we have seen how also, just how God has empowered the ordinary people, the ordinary people, how God has empowered them, you know, to, to do extraordinary work. We have seen that. It's very common and how God is touching. So we, we are seeing families that nobody expected, villages and towns and cities, you know, where nobody expected that there will be so much, you know, multiplication happening. We've seen this multiplication happen. So these are all evidence in the lives of people. You know, I can go on and on and tell you, but these are all evidence in the lives of people to show what God is doing. And, and we have seen how a small access ministry that is really not in, inexpensive, you know, bring so much change and transformation because God is breathing on it. He's breathing on it. I mean, um, very recently we, we did some toilets in some communities and how God used that. Just a common toilet, a latrine, that's how we call it here. How mm. God can use that, you know, to touch communities, several communities. And what is interesting, some people in the community who have been on our cousin, the side of our cousin, they went to their imam and said, look, we have seen this, this church, churches just came here. You know, we see them baptize people. We, we, our hearts really want to join them. We don't want to come here any longer to the mosque. We want to join them on this other side. And what is interesting, it was the guy who, is, who leads them in prayer on the other side, who took them, those who said they don't want to come to the mosque any longer. He took them and presented them to the leader of the church. I mean, there are pictures to the effect where he's handing them over because they're saying, we, we, we are seeing power here. We are seeing so much power here and we want to be part of this power. So we can't come here again. So he took them and handed them over. I mean, that's a miracle. That's just a miracle. It is a move of God. And these are all things that are happening. Yeah. So. Hmm. I, I'm still hung up on the fact that God is using toilets to change people. You know, that, oh. that's an amazing thing when you think about that. <laughs> yeah. Praise God for that. Uh, Shadonke, if I could, I just, you know, I, I want to share with you, and I don't know if it'll be an encouragement to you to some degree, you know, so so we met a number of years ago and you shared some of what you're sharing today. And so we we began in our church to say, okay, we want to incorporate prayer and fasting. We want to invite the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this this year we're praying, uh, it, it, our, part of our prayer focus during this time of prayer and fasting is uh, Luke 10, 2, where Jesus asks his disciples to pray that God would 
send workers into the harvest fields with the promise that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So the problem is with the workers, not the harvest. So God is doing what he's doing, right? So we're dependent upon God even for the harvest. So that's that's a big piece. Then the second the second piece we're praying. So we're praying that at 10.02 in the morning at 4.24, we're praying Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Just as Paul said, ask for us. You go and ask God that he would open up doors for the message so that we can mm. proclaim the mystery of Christ so that we could do it clearly just as we ought to. And it's been amazing because I think our people are becoming aware of the fact and trusting in God that the harvest is plenty, but the trouble is with the workers. And then that yeah. God is the one mm-hmm. too who will open doors. So we're dependent upon God even for the opening of doors. And so during this time yeah. of prayer and fasting, we're learning yes. this dependence upon God, our need for him to move so that we can follow and move in his steps as well. Um, you shared, and I don't know if you remember uh, if you remember that at all, but you shared at that point in time. And I wonder if you could share, maybe even if you don't remember that, I'm sure you're still praying for the churches in North America. So you shared at that point in time, some of the things that you were praying for the churches in North America. I wonder, one, I'm certain you all are still praying for us. Um, and if that's true, could you share with uh, with some of the folks that are listening some of the things that you all in your movement have been praying for for us here in, in the states? I I had I have this conviction in my heart more than ten years ago. I just believe that God has not finished with America, even though a lot of people think that way. But that's what I believe. I just believe that God is bringing America back to Himself. And for that mm. to happen, that we have been praying. Because when I told even some Americans that, you know, we are believing that we'll see, begin to see disciples making movement happen, they say, I should not get, you forget about that. That country, nothing is going to happen there. But I believe in it. I, I still believe in it. So we have been praying over the years. We are praying, number one, that God visits that nation, visit the people, visit their hearts. And we have what we call dangerous prayers here. In the sense, we are saying God shake them, that they will not sleep, they will not eat, they will not rest. Convict their hearts in such a way. There will be restlessness in them, which is a good one, spiritual restlessness, onto the finest part of really coming back to you the way they're supposed to be, the way their forefathers did. Mm -hmm. So that's we also bring or shake their foundation. Whatever they're depending on, whatever they're trusting on, shake it. Shake it, God. Shake the foundation so that, you know, what happened to Paul and Silas in prison, let it happen to them. Let the foundation be shaken so much that others will see, you know, they will really know that, oh, yes, you know, whatever they are standing on, whatever they are depending on, God, just shake it so that they will know, you know, that's how you draw their, their attention. And the other thing we are really praying about very strongly is that we are praying for the powerful move of the Holy Spirit and the churches in America that God you will move in such a powerful way as you move in acts, just move in a powerful way, in their gatherings, in their meeting, even if they're not crying for it. But God, can you please move? Just move in a way that that will, that will draw their attention. That will draw their attention. So these are things we are praying for. We have used the flag of America. We put a flag 
down. We've knelt down on that flag. I have wept over and again over that flag, crying to God. And most times I end my prayer saying, God, give us America. Give us America. I've prayed that several times. And I will shout that word seven times always. Give us America with a flag. And I am believing God. I am trusting God that, you know, all of us who live in the land of the living, to see this new reawakening happening in America in a different dimension, especially to the Sapishu Baking Movement. I am believing God that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen in our own lifetime. And that's our belief that there will be a remnant wow. God is going to use to bring that power back, to bring that awareness back. I, I, I believe, I'm, I'm convinced in my heart. So, Shadonke, talk to us if, if, uh, if you were to guide us, if you were to say, um, here's what I think God would want church leaders in North America to do, uh, what would you say? You've, you've talked about fasting and prayer. I think it would start there. But uh, let's say that there are 10 men right now who are leading churches, like uh, Paul, like myself, and, and God were to give you an open door for you to guide us. What would you tell us for the sake of our country that we should do? Yeah, I think for, for the sake of the country, first, you know, each of us, like in churches, like what Paul is saying, I mean, that's the right thing, uh, starting the process small starting the prayer base small, starting the fasting base small, you know, in the church's own tea permeates through the, the walls of the church. They, they, I believe that it should be one of the prayer points. People need to begin to pray, you know, over that nation of America. People need to pray over the flags. They need to pray over the symbols. People need to do prayer walks in different communities in America, strategic community. People need to cry out to God. The churches need to, church leaders need to cry out to be very sincere and just forget about all the distraction around there and just cry out to God. One of the things I have learned from God is that, you know, God can work best in the midst of messes when there's so many messes. God, he's, he's a, he, he works in the midst of that. He works in weaknesses. And he told Paul, you know, when Paul was crying, he said, Paul, you know, my, my, my grace is sufficient for you because this grace works better, you know, in your weakness. So I believe that there are times in our mess, God uses it out and humbles us and brings us to the place. So I believe, I will encourage church leaders that this should be a priority prayer point on top of their prayer list, praying for America, asking their disciples, asking the church to pray. In, if I for me, I would say every church service, whether it's going to be two minutes or five minutes, but let everybody pray for America. Pray that God will open the eyes for people. Pray that God will shake the foundation, the faulty foundations. Pray that God will bring a reawakening in such a way. Pray that God will raise leaders with a fire in their heart that will be able to use the disciple-making movement as a way to take the church to the new level. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. 
We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So, so Shidonke, um, I'm going to interrupt the order here just for a follow-up question on that. Like in my church, we too were in the midst of a 21-day fast um, through the influence of yourself and others. Uh, we ask everybody to fast on Tuesdays every week. Um, our elders pray every week. Our elders meet early Saturday mornings. They walk around the church building and pray. But what you're saying about bringing revival to the country that has not been something that we are doing. And I think it we're not because we suffer under a uh, we suffer under a belief, and I'd like you to challenge it because this would be very encouraging, I think, for those who are joining us. We tend to be pessimistic about uh, the the North American church because over the last several years, there has been such a so many people deconverting. There's been so many churches in decline because of COVID. There's been so many attacks on the belief systems and the morality of those upholding the Bible that it's very easy for us to uh, to think, well, God's going to work now in Africa and China uh, that He's given up on North America. You don't believe that, so no, I don't. I don't tell, talk that. to us about that. Well, I, I the, it's because of the nature of the God I serve. God is a God of love. And I see that God as a God of a second chance. I see so many times he gives second chances to so many people that he was not supposed to give second chance. He gave them. And I see that the nature, the very nature of our God is love. He loved us so much. That's why he sent Jesus to come and die for us. And if, if I see that God in this way, we as Americans, Americans have to come to the place and say, hey, well, not everybody will come to that realization, but those who can come to the realization and say, you know what, God, we believe strongly that we, we have messed up. You know, our, our, our families have messed up. Our leaders have messed up. But God, we come to you in this message and we're asking you to cleanse us, to really cleanse us. And we are believing God. People have to realign their minds and their heart that God can do great things with America again. He can do great things for the sake of his elect, for the sake of the remnants who are faithful. You know, he told Abraham, can I do anything and hide it from Abraham? You know, he's going to be the father of all nations. And, you know, when he told Abraham, Abraham said, what if you can only find 30, 10? You know, he said, if I find 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So I believe strongly God can still find 10 faithful men women, 10 faithful people in that nation who are faithful, 20, 50, 60, whose heart is yearning to see that nation. The thing here is that the enemy is very crafty. The enemy will always let us think that, you know, God has given up on us. He will always, that has been his old style. You see, we don't have, the devil don't have, he don't have new tricks. It's the same old tricks he just uses on new people. It's the same old tricks. You know, he just lets you think that it's, it's done, you're done, so why worry? Don't worry about that again, it's over. But I say to people, it's never over until it's over. So it is very important that 
the churches realign and believe that God can still do something in North America. God can do something in America. And people need, and the way they have to do it, go down your knees intentionally and begin to pray for that nation. Get other churches joining intentionally. Do major prayer works on the street. Break some of the strongholds. That's another thing. Paul said we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities, power, spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers and authorities in higher places. So this fight is not a physical fight. This is a spiritual fight. And so we have to fight it in the spirit realm. We have to fight it with our prayer, with our fasting, with our consistent prayer, asking God to bring down all the forces of the enemy. We have to territorial spirits, spirits in the territories that within the areas where those churches are, we have to break those territorial spirits. And we have to build a new altar. It's time for America to build new altars. Not only break, when you break the old altar, you have to build a new altar. A new altar unto God and God alone. And we, we try to discipline ourselves that we should not touch his glory. We should not touch his glory. We build an altar for God and for God alone. And rally people around those altars that are built for God. I think that is my conviction. I am convinced that God will do the miraculous again in America. I am convinced that God will raise that nation. It will raise it. You know, it, I, I am very much convinced in my heart. I have no molecule of doubt that God can do that. Well, that's great. I, I've got one more question. I'm going to let Paul ask his, and then I'm going to uh, uh, bring our time to a close after that with uh, a recommendation and a question. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a question in here. I'm going to begin, begin with kind of a statement, reconnecting with something you said, uh, Shadanke, in that you use the word remnant. Um, you know, I, it's, it's interesting I, the, the way that the spirit works, you know, even in, in a message that I'll be preaching this weekend, I've got this line and I've got it written right here. Um, you know, where it, during a time of prayer, it was almost if God was saying, you know, you, we rebuild from the remnant. And so that revival begins. Uh, with the people of God, but only when the people in God, people of God embrace the things of God, which is wild because that's almost what you said to a T today. Um, you know, there is uh, there is this piece that that we are missing in, I think, the states at times. And it is what you've talked about in the sense of radical obedience to the things of God. So, again, revival begins when the people of God embrace the things of God. We think that we're going to have revival while still embracing the things of us, right? So, um, you know, maybe speak to us just for a minute, if you will, about the role that obedience plays in engaging with the Holy Spirit, if you could do that. Yeah, the, the thing is that obedience is critical, it's key. You know, Jesus said, as you have seen me, you've seen my father. He said, I do not do anything on my own. I do what my father tells me to do. He was a model in obedience. He, he did everything, you know, that his father did. He obeyed his father, even to the point of dying on the cross, which is a model for us. He told his disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Obedience is critical. It's very critical to the process. I think what we need to do is that what the church and the leaders in America need to do is that we need to disinvest all our energies into the ownership that we have said we own the church. Oh, I did this. I started this church. I spent all this money, disinvested. And just know that and let you know that this thing belongs to God. He owns it. 
He died for it. Jesus bled for it. He went to the cross for it. He was buried for it. He owns it and he said it. I think that's one thing that we need to understand. And how do we come to that place of realization just uh, talking to, you know, obedience is key. If you are not ready to obey, then I'm telling you, nothing is going to happen. It's critical for us to obey. We have to let go and let God. We have to let go and let God. And we have to obey the things that he has said. Because if we obey, there's a blessing. If we obey, then we'll see revival. But we cannot still hold on to our own knowledge, all way of doing things, like, and then we are praying for revival. You know, it's, it's hypocritical because it's not going to happen. It's a waste of energy and time. But if we come to the altar of God and we empty ourselves and we say, God, we want you to take lead of all of this. We want you. We want to obey you in small things and in big things. You know, in small things and in big things. So if the Lord is impressing something so small in our hearts, let's obey him. If he's impressing something big in our hearts, let's obey him. If we obey him in those things, then if the disciples did not obey Jesus to wait in Jerusalem, they had left Jerusalem. I mean, it would have been the scenario would have different. I mean, to wait is very difficult, but they waited until they have received the Holy Spirit. And all throughout the church, one of the things they did was they emphasized on is obedience, obedience, immediate obedience. So we need a radical obedience. People need to radically throw out some of the things, throw out some of the knowledge we have, throw some of the ideas, even in all the things we learned in seminary, you know, that is not aligned to scripture. We need to throw it away and come to those simple things and submit to the Holy Spirit, submit to the leader of the Holy Spirit. And from that point, begin to obey. You know, even when I say normally there are things that do not make sense to you, it really don't matter. If God has said it, he has said it. It don't need to make sense to you. You just obey. There are many things that I have obeyed. It did not make any sense to me. But at the end of the day, I say, ah, now I see it. Because God is not going to tell you. If God had told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to send you to this foreign land. When you go there, you're going to suffer. You know, at some point, your wife, you're going to deny your wife to become your sister. And after that, you know, Abraham is going to take this amount of years before finally I will give you a child. You have a situation with another lady, hey guy, and all these things. I mean, he, Abraham would have just stayed home because he already know. He would say, God, I'm sorry. Can you find somebody else? But it was a promise. But the promise was tied in obedience. You know, and he, when he obeyed, those promises had to reveal, to reveal. At the end of the story, we see how joyful the life of Abraham is. He died in good old age, a yeah. fruitful age. That's what scripture calls it. Why? He chose to obey. Even when God said, go and sacrifice your Isaac, man, it did not make sense to Abraham. But when his son asked him, I see the firewood, the knife is here, but I'm not seeing the lamb. He said, the Lord will provide. All he knew is obedience. If we can only obey God, even when he's not making sense to, to, to us, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, there are blessings, blessings when we choose to obey God. I will give you a quick illustration. I went to America, you know, in 2002 or so, and the opportunities, I was coming from a war, a one-ton country, we had like a 10 years rebel war. No electricity, no drinking water. And I mean, it was just terrible. Gunshots every night, people dying all over. 
I literally saw thousands of people die. All type of things you can think about. And then I had this opportunity to go to America with my family. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is I'm not going back to that country. I had friends who were calling me, don't go back to that God-forsaken country. But literally, I had a church who wanted to hire me to be one of their pastors, bring me on staff. They were going to pay me good money that I've never seen in my life. You know, but then the Lord said to me, no, I have not yet finished with you in Sterling. I still have that journal. And so I decided, I told the pastor, let me give me some time. And so I took it one week of prayer and fasting, right in America, seeking the face of God. Is this what you want me to do? I mean, coming from war, that's not something I need to ask God. I would have simply said, God, hey, you know, I've been in 10 years war, no clothes, nothing, everything I've lost. So this is an opportunity. But I still went before God. And I remember that night while I was, the Lord woke me up and said, write. And I started to write. He said, I've not yet completed with you, Israelian. I still have an assignment for you. He said, when I'm done with you, Israelian, I will let you know. So go back home. It was very clear. The instructions were clear. I went back to the church. I said, I'm sorry. I will not take this job. I'm going back home. I mean, they, they tried to convince me, talk to me. I said, no. He is speaking, and that's what is important. Nothing's going to convince me. No amount of plea, no amount of money. So I came back home, came back with my family. Now, imagine if I had not obeyed God to come back. What we are talking about today, we'll not be talking about. I came back home. The country was still dilapidated. I mean, things were not in order. The devil was saying to me, you're a fool. You had this opportunity and you came back home. But I said, I came back because I wanted to obey God. Today, when I sit down and hear the testimonies from villages, from towns, from city, the transformation, there are times I weep. I literally weep. And I thank God that God, you allowed me to obey you. So wow. I believe. That when we obey him, even when the thing don't, it really don't make any sense to us, we will see the result down the road when we obey him. Wow. You know, I can't really say anything after what you've just said. For the sake of those who are joining us and watching this, I do want you to, to lead us in a prayer, Shinonke. Before I do that, I'd like to share with everyone a practical resource that a common friend that all three of us have, Dave Clayton, wrote a book, uh, and it's on fasting and prayer. It's a discipleship.org book. It's called Revival Starts Here, a short conversation on prayer, fasting, and revival for beginners like me. And you can read that book in about an hour. Uh, you could also listen to it, of course, uh, if you want. So I want to commend that book. Uh, and then just as a practical next step, Shinonke, Dave Clayton has talked to me about if we could have 50 cities, Dave Clayton and uh, David Young, whom you both know, if we could have 50 cities that God would break out uh, because we came to him through fasting and prayer and asked for these cities. So as we close, can I ask you to pray for us about that, that God would grant the leaders and the cities to start uh, this revival and these disciple-making movements really taking a hold? So I turn it to you and ask you to close our time in prayer. Holy Spirit, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, 
Be my guide as I walk along the road. The road is so narrow. Holy Spirit, be my guide. Holy Spirit, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, be my guide. As I walk along the road, the road is so narrow. Holy Spirit, be my God. Holy Spirit, we'll pray right now to be our God. We'll pray right now, God, as we walk along the road, as we walk, God, in this disciple-making movement. Father, the road is so narrow. The challenges are great. But God, we want to believe you, believe your word. Father, you said, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe that he is and is the reward of them that diligently seek him. Father God, we step out in faith as we ask you, God. You ask us, God, in Matthew 7, 7, that we need to ask, we need to knock, we need to seek. We've come before you, God, asking, God, seeking and knocking in the name of Jesus. We are asking for 50 cities, God, in America, that you will raise leaders, God. Leaders, God, that you open their eyes, God. Leaders that have seen, have the Damascus Road experience, whose eyes are open, God. Father God, as you open the eyes of God, all of, of Saul that became Paul. Lead us, O oh Lord, Father, who are on fire for you. God, O oh Lord, as Paul and Peter and the apostles were on fire for you. Lead us that have had the, the, the Pentecost experience, God, with submerged in the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you raise these leaders, these 50 cities in America, God. Father, oh Lord, as I begin to pray and fast, as I begin the discipleship making process, that Father, you will use it as a vehicle, God, oh Lord, Father, God, toward the outburst of a revival, a revival that will come through multiplications, a revival that will come through disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, a revival that will come through churches who plant churches who plant churches and plant churches, a revival that will come through intercessors who raise intercessors who raise intercessors, who raise intercessors. Revival will come through God through small groups that develop small groups and small groups, God, that will spread all over the place, God, that we are men and women, God, that every member, every disciple will become an intercessor. Every disciple will become an intercessor. Every disciple will become a disciple maker in the name of Jesus, God. Father, God, will pray for these 50 cities in America. My Lord and my God, give us these 50 cities in yes. America. Give us these 50 cities in America. America, in the name of Jesus and raises men and women, God. God will pray that these men and women will not sit down, will not stand up. Father, they will not lie down. They will not eat. They will have no rest. Father God, because Father, you will put a holy discontentment in their hearts. Yeah. Spiritually, there will be holy discontentment in the name of Jesus. My Lord and my God, what you did for Gideon, you can do for anyone. What you did for Samuel, as he prayed God for the Israelite God, and you rioted the Philistines. We are praying right now that you will cause thunder, God, O Lord, Father. They will hear thunder in every city, God. 
the thunder of the Lord, the earthquake of God. Father, all in every city, I will shake the foundation of men and women in the name of Jesus, in their dreams, God. They will wake up in their dreams. And Father, they will say, God, what do you want me to do? When they sit down to eat, Father God, you impress it in their heart. When they are driving, you impress it in their heart. Father God, oh Lord, in their offices, you impress it in their heart. My Lord and my God, wherever they go, Father, oh Lord, there will be this holy discontentment that something needs to happen. God, give us these 50 cities in the name of Jesus. Father, you promise us that you will not leave us and forsake us. You promise us that when we ask God, Father, we'll receive. When we seek, we'll find. When we knock, the door will open. We are asking. We are seeking. We are knocking the door for 50 cities in America. In the name of Jesus. Father, hear us. We lift up our eyes onto the hills. From whence cometh our help? Our help cometh from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. You that keepeth us, you that keepeth America, you will never sleep nor slumber. Father, nor you that keepeth Israel. The Lord is on the right hand of America. We cannot fear what man can do unto us. For we know the sun shall not sleep that nature by day, nor the moon by night. My Lord and my God, we address the principalities, the powers, the spiritual host of wickedness, the authorities, the spiritual authorities go over those cities. We break their yoke in the name of Jesus. We break their powers in the name of Jesus. We bind the strong man. Father, you said no man can enter into the house of a strong man until he has bound the strong man first. And then we enter into his house and plunder his gold. We bind every strong man of unbelief. We bind every strong man of knowledge-based focus. We bind every strong man, Father, oh Lord, Father, oh Lord, of materialism. We bind every strong man of worldliness. We bind every strong man, Father, oh Lord, of little faith in the name of Jesus. My Lord and my God, release your power right now in the cities. We are believing God for it. Father God, we know with you all things are possible. And God will pray that you will create a discipleship making movement in every city in America, in every county in America, in the name of Jesus, Father. May we live to see this in our own lifetime. Yes. May we live to see yes. God. May we touch it. May we smell it. May we, Father, celebrate it. God, in the name of Jesus, let there be a radical, Father, move of the Holy Ghost, all throughout the length and breadth, a radical move of the fire of God, a radical move of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Father, let you rest on the men of God, the women of God in America. Let you rest upon the churches. Father, go in the name of Jesus, by the power of God. We pray not only for the form, but we pray for the fire. We pray not only for the form, but we pray for the fire. Fire all throughout, God, oh Lord, in the hearts of men and women, God, in the nation of America, the young, the old, in the name of Jesus, the children, by the power of the Holy Ghost, God, let this happen in our lifetime. Father, give us America. 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 In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we thank you, Father. We bless you. We honor you. We believe, God, that, Father, you've answered our prayer. We know it will happen, God. Father, we continue to thank you in advance for answered prayer. Thank you, Father, God. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We promise you, Father, we will not touch your glory. We That's will right. never touch That's you. right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Holy Spirit, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, be my guide. As I walk along the road, the road is so narrow. 
Peace. 